Hello and welcome to the Women in Tech powered by Bird and Bird series. In this podcast series, we hear from legal leaders who are leading the charge in the tech sector. I'm Graham Maguire. I'm chair of our board here at Bird and Bird and also a commercial technology and communications partner supporting our global clients. I'm delighted to be interviewing Britta Strandberg, founder and principal at Strandberg Strategy based in Washington, DC. Hi, Britta, and thanks for being with us today. Thanks so much for having me, Graham. It's a delight to be here. It's a pleasure. Britta was introduced to me many years ago by my then partner, Rhys Williams, who described as a brilliant telco lawyer and an even better person. And he was right. I've had the pleasure of working with Britta for many years, supporting many of the world's leading providers of telecom services on the rollout of innovative products and services across the globe. Britta is a graduate of Yale Law School and Princeton University. She spent 15 plus years as a partner at Harris, Wiltshire and Granis, a leading US telecoms law firm. Britta recently launched her own law and consultancy practice, Strandberg Strategy. She made this leap in conjunction with an opportunity to join the board of Aircall.io, an exciting growing tech company that provides call center software to medium and small businesses. At Strandberg Strategy, Britta helps telecom and tech companies navigate market entry, compliance transactions, and other challenges, drawing on her years working as a trusted advisor to large and small tech and voice companies. Britta has long focused on the benefits of diversity and inclusion in tech and in law, including servicing as Harris Wiltshire Granis' inaugural diversity partner. She's also left me with a passing interest in how the Washington Capitals ice hockey team performed. <laughs> Handing over to Britta, it would be great to hear about some of the challenges that you faced on your career journey so far and how you've overcome them. Thank you. Well, you know, when I one challenge that I faced early on was my very greatest desire as a young prospective lawyer was to go to Yale Law School. And I was very fortunate that in the end I did go to Yale Law School, but I did not not initially admitted to Yale Law School when I first applied. So I went instead to the University of Texas Law School in Austin, Texas. And it turns out to have really been a wonderful, unexpected opportunity that, you know, I was not looking for and I, I frankly didn't want. But then when I went to the University of Texas, it was, I learned a lot from the uh, students and faculty there. It was a very different kind of law school than Yale Law School and a very different perspective on the law in some ways because it was such a big law school. It really was diverse in ways that were different than the ways that Yale was diverse when I was fortunate enough to go there as a transfer student. I then had the experience of being a transfer student, which is a sort of slightly different experience in law school that I thought was quite useful because I had to kind of hustle to get to know people and get involved in the law school as a second year. So that was one of those things that happens that, again, you, you kind of don't think you want it to, but in retrospect, you're kind of glad it did. Excellent. On your journey, what or who has inspired you, either within your organization or within your industry or otherwise? Well, a lot of folks, um, really too many to list, but my former law firm, Harris, Wilcher & Granis, is a really special place. And I was very inspired by the leadership there. It was founded by Scott Harris, Bill Wiltshire and Mark Granis, and they set up a very different kind of law firm that valued, I think, providing excellent 
work for our clients, but without doing it every minute of every day. From the very outset, they set out a compensation system that ensured that everybody in the law firm shared in the profits of the firm, including you know our part-time receptionists, uh, sort of top to bottom. And it, it was a wonderful place. They also, in their mentorship and leadership within the firm, all of them had a real generosity of spirit in terms of sharing sort of ideas about how to develop clients or ideas about how best to represent clients. So they really set up all of us who worked there to succeed, which I appreciated. Recently, we had a transition to a new chair of the law firm. John Nakahata is now the chair of Harris, Wilcher and Granis, and he's another inspiring guy, worked in Congress to help write the 96 Act, which is a core piece of telecom legislation in the U.S., then moved to the FCC, where he was chief of staff and helped the FCC implement all of the changes that were contemplated by the act. And he is likewise just an incredible mentor. I attribute a lot of my success in the law to being able to be down the hall from him. So if clients came with a thorny question, I could go ask John and then call back my client and sound very learned and wise. That really resonates because I've had the pleasure of working with, with clearly you, but also of a number of your ex-partners. And also I have, I have several clients who are alumni of Harris Wiltshire Granis, which is also a, an absolute sort of you know, pleasure. Looking to, to those who are at an earlier stage of their career, what advice would you give to those who want to become legal leaders within the tech industry? And what's the best advice that you've been given by others yourself? I think one thing I would say is... It's very important to think about what will work for you in particular. And this was some advice that was given to me early on as I was learning how to develop my own business. And, you know, people have different styles and different ways that they feel comfortable. And if you don't find a way to develop business and get your name out there that feels comfortable to you, it will not probably succeed. So it's very important to be thoughtful and inward looking about what's going to work for you. Another thing that has served me very well in my career as is to be willing to zig when others zag. You know, coming out of law school, I kind of thought I would be an appellate lawyer or a litigator because that's what everybody was doing. And I did do that for some time, but I ended up finding my way to communications law, which I'm very happy about. And even within communications law, I've sometimes taken on the projects that seemed less appealing, less sexy, as it were, than others. And then I've found myself in this place where I'm doing some work that really needs to be done that maybe other folks don't want to do, then you get good at it. Any project can be interesting. Any project has sort of thorny problems and interesting strategic challenges. So don't always sort of take the the same road as everybody else, and you may find that you have opportunities there. And then the, the final thing I would say, and I think this is one of the joys of technology, it's always changing. So there's always new opportunities. For me, I was fortunate to start as a telecom lawyer around the time that VoIP was hitting the scene. And I remember looking at all these very senior uh, expert lawyers who had all kinds of deep knowledge and feeling like I couldn't catch up to them on some of the intricacies of telecom law and history. But then here comes VoIP, it's brand new, we're all at the same starting line, and I decided that I was going to try and get as smart about that as I possibly could, and it served me really well. Thank you. There's some some great advice there. I have to admit, I'm struggling with how any aspect of communications law couldn't be sexy. (laughs) That's why I like you, Graham. (laughs) 
let's turn to diversity for a moment. So, you know, it'd be really helpful to hear from you in terms of why you believe that diversity is important within the tech industry uh, and from your experience, what opportunities that creates. Absolutely. I think one thing that's very topical right now is there is an incredible need for talent in the tech industry. The job market is as competitive as I can remember it ever being. And the folks who I see in-house, the folks in law firms who are in this space are just extraordinarily busy because there's so much work to be done. And diversity just broadens the pool of talent, helps address those needs. I think that's just going to continue. Our experience with the pandemic has just heightened the importance of technology in all of our lives, and I don't think that's going to go away. So we really need diversity just because that gives us access to the greatest number of talented individuals. It's also beneficial, you know, if you're a tech company, your consumers presumably are going to be diverse, want to be able to have the largest possible addressable market. So that means you need to be able to serve everybody. And so you need to think about that and diversity inside the building, inside the business helps you to succeed in the marketplace with the diverse customer base. And then it's also a multitude of perspectives and voices. It's just a useful piece of any kind of problem solving. So that's another way that diversity and just the day-to-day nitty-gritty of being a lawyer is really quite valuable. All of a sudden, you know, when I'm talking to colleagues, I always am able to learn something. I'm always getting the benefit of their perspective and the broader the range of perspectives, the more benefit available. Could not agree more. That's brilliantly cool. So, so what do you think are the key barriers and challenges for lawyers from unrepresented or underrepresented groups within the tech industry? And what are the diversity initiatives that, that you have been most effective in, in, in your own experience? I think it's a really thorny problem. It's a really difficult problem, uh, expanding diversity. And I think law firms, certainly Harris, Wilcher and Granis, in my experience, was Uh, thought about it a lot in terms of hiring and retention, opening doors once folks are in the door, making sure that everybody has the opportunity to be mentored and supported, given the chance to succeed. And I think that all is critical and important. It makes sense. I think also it's important to look uh, sort of further down or earlier in people's experience. And this is a challenge no one law firm necessarily can solve. But we need to, I think, when we think about diversity, think broadly about helping people build skills earlier and earlier, whether it's building skills in high school so you can succeed in college or building skills in college so you can succeed in the workplace or in getting into grad school. So one thing I think is important in addition to all of the work that's being done already that needs to keep getting done in terms of opening doors and making sure hiring is fair and equitable. We have to look at arming people or enabling people to walk through those doors, giving them the skills so that those open doors really are open in the same way for everybody. And that's a really challenging problem that I don't, you know, I certainly haven't solved, but I think looking at things like mentorship programs, looking at ways, whether it's in law school or college or even high school or even before that, just to make sure that you set people on a path where when they enter the workforce or they enter the legal profession, they're really coming with the same skills and training that the folks they're competing against have had the opportunity to have. 
That's great advice because, you know, one, one thing I was doing sort of last week is we have a training program called our Global Women's Development Program, which sort of you know, helps some of our very talented female associates on the transition through to partnership. And what we were doing was taking a lot of the information we use from that course, but making it available more generally so that people can understand earlier in their, their careers exactly what they need to do and exactly how it works if they want to progress to be a counsel or to be a partner. And so that people don't assume there are there are blocks there when the things they might assume as a block is absolutely not a block at all. All you said there resonated really well. Look, thank you very much, Britta, for joining us today. And thank you all very much for listening. Please do look out for more content for the Women in Tech powered by Bird and Bird series soon. Thank you, Britta. Thank you.